Hey, how's everybody doing? And welcome back to 125 Unfiltered, episode 69. And today I've got another guest episode. We're going to be talking Warriors Mavericks game one, as well as doing a little mock draft because the NBA lottery happened two days ago. But like I said, I am not by myself. I am here today with high school friend and current Virginia Tech Hokie, Cole Cummings. Cole, how are you doing today? What's good, y'all? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk some basketball with Josh, like old times. And it's been a great playoff so far. So we got plenty to talk about the Warriors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like 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 you said, just like absolutely throwing it back to the good old days in the in the senior lounge, just talking uh, NFL, NBA, just (laughs) whatever it was. So it's definitely gonna be a I mean, you, you're, you're the Panther fan. I'm the Giants fan. Giants haven't been good in a decade. So I, I know I got a ton of slack for that, but I mean, we can both say we're both doing pretty poorly right now. Yeah. I mean, both our NFL teams and NBA teams are pretty much been at the bottom of the barrel for a long time. I mean, Panthers had a few good years, but ever since horrible and we're, fact that we saw Sam Darnold baffles me but that's for another time to talk about we can get right into some basketball here oh yeah no doubt I mean and I have to say both teams had a pretty good NFL draft uh you know I was pretty happy with uh, how the Giants did but like you said let's talk about last night Golden State hosting the Dallas Mavericks Dallas coming off of that shocking 33 point upset over Phoenix, just absolutely blowing them out of the water. But it was Golden State who would take game one, 117 to 82. Steph Curry led the way with 21 points. And then there were seven Warriors in double figures. Wiggins had 19, uh, 15 in the first half. He had a very impressive game on both ends of the floor. And then Jordan Poole, he had 19. Clay Thompson had 15. But then most importantly for Golden State, they held Luka Doncic to 20 points on six of 18 shooting as well as forcing seven turnovers. So, Cole, how do you think Golden State was able to slow down Luka in this first game? I mean, we all saw it. It starts at Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he played one of the best games he's played in the playoffs, arguably the best with the way he played on defense. And their defensive game plan on Luka was just – it was just making him uncomfortable. Every time he would try to penetrate inside, they had someone helping – Put poking the ball out, trying to make him uncomfortable. Draymond did that a few times. He got steals off him. I mean, Luca had seven turnovers to six field goals made. It was, it was a, a defensive masterclass by Steve Kerr that game. It also, though, if I'm a Mavs fan, I'm not necessarily too worried because he's still Luca Doncic. He's a top five, arguably higher than that now, and. He just – he will get his way. Some of his shots he was making against the Suns, he didn't go down last night. And that's not going to happen every game. So, Luka's going to adapt. We know that. Jason Kidd is going to adapt. They've shown it. They'll continue to do it. I'm not worried for the Mavs. The only thing I'm worried about for the Mavericks in this series is the defensive end because Luka has shown – he not, doesn't necessarily improve throughout the series on defense. They were attacking him in the pick and roll all night. And every time he was on the ball handler, they set a screen on him. Every time he was in the paint guarding a bigger guy, they'd go up, he'd go up and set a screen. 
they just wanted to force Luca to move and and play with the where where the Warriors are just we know how they play. They just moved off the ball and Luca Luca off the an off ball defender that is just not very good. He's he's slow. He doesn't have very good rotations. So they're going to attack him the rest of the series. And I don't know how well that'll, that'll be for the Mavericks. Yeah. I mean, you, you made some really good points there going back to Wiggins. I mean, I thought he was the MVP of the game. Not only did he do a good job on Luca, you know, he did for the most part, a good job staying in front. He uh, had some good contests, forced a couple turnovers along with like Draymond and Steph kind of poking the ball out. But I thought offensively in the first half when Steph and Clay were struggling, I think he, those 15 first half points were huge. Not only were they big because of, you know, Steph and Clay, but he was getting them from the mid range. It wasn't all three pointers. I mean, we saw Dallas hoist up 48 threes in this game. They only made 11 of them, but with Steph and Clay obviously getting turned on in the second half, making some uh, some good threes, Clay was getting going off ball. But the mid range game for Wiggins really takes this offense to another level, and it makes them very difficult to guard. And it kind of reminded me a bit of when Kevin Durant was there, not in terms of Andrew Wiggins' KD, but in terms of you had that mid that mid range threat, and combining that with the three point snipers and Steph and Clay and Jordan Poole off the bench. Uh, this is going to be a very, very tough offense for Dallas to guard. Uh, but I'm, I'm not worried as well. I, it's just one game. They came off of a very tough seven-game series against Phoenix. Uh, those series can be draining. We saw it a bit with Boston in their second half against Miami, but I don't think Dallas is going to miss as many wide-open three-pointers that they had. Again, they, they only shot 23% from three-point range, 36% from the field with a bad game from Luka. Uh, and we saw just the game get out of control in the third, but they had chances in that first half to hit some shots. And whether it's Brunson or Bullock or uh, Feeney Smith, they, they just weren't knocking them down. But we know that they're going to be able to hit some of these shots. Uh, e- even Kleba, like he wasn't getting many good looks because of some foul trouble. Just he wasn't able to stay on the floor. But overall, uh, I- I'm with you there. That defense that Golden State played on Luka completely, it ramped up the pace of the game. It got their fast break offense going. And for a team like Dallas who wants to play slow, you're going to need to take care of the ball and you're going to need to make your open three-pointers uh, in the half court. Yep, I totally agree. I mean, with I think this this matchup for the Mavericks is, I think, by far the worst they've had in these playoffs so far. And I don't think that comes as to a surprise. I mean, the Warriors, the way they play, they want you to go half court and – try to beat you in the half court because they will they will pressure you they will create turnovers and they will run their transition offense which they thrive in and the more they do that the more open threes they get the more they get into their rhythm and so the Ma- the Mavericks got to compensate for that I think Jason Kidd as much as their offense has worked up to this point they have to speed it up I think because you got to make the Warriors not be set in their positions. You can't allow Draymond Green to be in his spot perfectly to help anyone on the team. You, you got to make Draymond uncomfortable on defense. You got to switch it up. You can't just do all this isolation, slow stuff, because the Warriors will beat you with that if you try it. And they got to switch it up. Yeah, and I think another point to mention, I talked about this two days ago, but 
Dallas went up against two teams with with a big center, Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Ayton. They were able to pull him out and really, like you said, just ISO and just let Luca go to work, let these smaller guards, quicker guards go to work on uh, on Ayton and Gobert. But Draymond Green or even Kavon Looney uh, playing at the five, they're more mobile. They can actually hang around the perimeter and guard the three-point line a lot better than Utah and Phoenix could because Golden State, they are playing small just like Dallas is, if not smaller. So uh, I think Draymond Green, I mean, he had a very good game defensively, I think, but just the fact that whatever worked for Dallas against in the previous two rounds, like you said, they're going to have to find other ways to, to beat this golden state defense because it can't just be the Lucas show. And you, you can't just, you know, hoist up a ton of threes and maybe, maybe one or two games they'll fall, but they're going to need to get something going towards the paint. I like what Brunson did for part of that third quarter, really attacking uh, the rim, attacking Draymond off the dribble. Um, And then on the other end of the floor, I mean, I I just don't think Dallas can really defend Golden State with how fluid this offense is, the ball movement, uh, the off-ball cutting from Clay. We we saw Clay shake Reggie Bullock one time. Uh, he he got a few layups off of just just simple off-ball cutting stuff he learned in middle school basketball. Um, it just really shows how well Golden State has revamped over the years since they lost Kevin Durant. They got younger, you know, they've got Jordan Poole getting Wiggins. I mean, the way they've transformed his game, he's become a really solid two-way player. Obviously, Looney stuck around, and then you still have guys like Kuminga and Moses Moody off the bench. I mean, these they're rookies, and they're barely getting any run. Uh, I think this is going to be very tough for Dallas to turn around, but however, if they make their threes and they get those good looks that they got, they can win a couple games by getting them to fall. And obviously, Luca's not going to play like that in game two. There's just no way. I totally agree. I mean, once again, we're talking about how well the Warriors played on defense and how the Dallas is going to need to switch things up. But at the end of the day, they just got to make more shots. I mean, they had so many open looks last night that they just bricked off the side of the rim, and it was just unusual for them. I mean, I thought, like you said, Jalen Brunson and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, I didn't think they necessarily – necessarily played horrible they could have definitely played better but I mean they were getting they were getting some tough shots pitting them uh Jalen Brunson was he had some moments where he was sparking the team back same with Dinwiddie I just think Luca needs to Luca needs to adapt to what to this new defense that he's facing and just cook again and then and I think he will like you said I, he's not going to play like this again you can't you can't stop Luca like this in a seven-game series. That's just not going to happen. And with Andrew Wiggins, I mean, his playoffs have been hilarious so far. He Every time the Warriors win, he will score no matter what, between like 17 and 19 points, every time they win. Last night he had 15 at half and then had four in the second half. And, the, and it's just he is perfect at playing his role for this team. He knows exactly what they need and when they need it. And that's what they brought him in for. And we haven't talked about him enough yet, but Jordan Poole was just hunting the mismatches all last night and exposing the big men of the Mavericks. Like I, I, I saw him just finesse his way around Kleber so many times. Uh, same with Dwight Powell. And then he was just, he was just getting his way and did, did what he needed to do to help the team win. And, uh, once again, Jordan Poole is just overpowered coming off the bench for this team. I mean, he is 
he is so good for the way the Warriors play, and I could not think of a better fit for their sixth man than Jordan Poole is this year. And, but at the end of the day, the X factor for this series, I was thinking this going in, I, it's Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he, he showed it that he's going to be their primary defender on Luka, and they got to just couldn't keep that up. And I think that they'll win this series if Andrew Wiggins played like he did last night. I mean, that was a near-perfect game he played. I thought he played it perfectly for his role. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, just the way – really, like you said, too, the way Wiggins just fits in as that two-way player, that wing defender that – uh, you know, because Steph, Steph, obviously, I mean, he, he's actually played some good defense in the playoffs. Clay obviously isn't the same defender anymore with these injuries, but yeah, Jordan Poole really just takes the team to another level. It's it's really important to have a guy off the bench who can just ISO and just go get a bucket. He's so crafty. I mean, he's so just smooth with the ball. I mean, he was he was making the defenders dance, but having someone like that to sub in when Steph and Clay go out, it, it they don't have to play 40 minutes a game. They they get production off the bench. You know, I, I thought Damian Lee had some pretty good minutes. Uh, and and Looney is another, I mean, the, the telecast kept preaching Kevon Looney, but the fact that he could actually hang with Dallas's smaller lineup when Dwight Powell went out was really impressive. So this Golden State Warriors team might only be six or seven deep, but man, their chemistry is just off the charts and this wasn't even a, a huge Steph or clay shooting night i mean steph had a couple moments where he hit a couple threes uh in a row this starting off that third quarter but this just a complete performance from golden state i mean i didn't even auto porter another really good performance from a bench player last night uh if golden state keeps playing like that i i do think i, I mean i picked them to win the series in seven but dallas if dallas struggles to defend golden state which i think will continue they have to hit some shots Yep, I mean, you said it earlier, they shot 11 of 48 from three. That's not going to win you the game. And the Warriors last night from non-three-pointers, so two-pointers only, they shot 36 of 49. That is that is unreal. That's like 75%. That, that's, that is going to win you the game if you continue to do that. The Dallas just couldn't guard them when they got in, inside on the interior because they were playing so hard on the outside. And uh, that's another thing that Jason Kidd's going to have to switch up. They're going to have to switch up their defense to compensate for the Warriors attacking them with their with Kevon Looney on the, on the offensive rebounds, like everything about it. The one thing that the Warriors have continued to do this season and in these playoffs is turn over the ball. Last night, once again, they had more turnovers than the Mavericks did. And while I do think the Warriors will win this series, if they go to the finals, they're going to have to switch that up because a team like the Celtics, a team like the Heat, both of them have a better defense than the Mavs. They, they are arguably the two best defensive teams in the NBA. They are going to take advantage of that, and they're going to attack their guards on the perimeter because they know they're turnover prone. And – that'll be something to watch as this, as this Maverick series go on, goes on. And if in the future, the Warriors have to go to the finals. Yeah. I think that's definitely the big theme of this first game. The Warriors have their flaws. There is a way to beat them, but with how both teams played last night, it's just not going to get it done for Dallas, but gold state, takes the 1-0 lead in the series. Defense home court 117-82. to Now, 
Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, a couple days ago, the NBA draft lottery was announced. The Orlando Magic were given the number one pick in the draft, and we have our mock drafts for you guys today. But before we get into that, Cole, you told me a little bit about uh, a, a little job you're doing this summer. Why don't uh, uh, tell tell everyone about what you're doing in, in relation to this draft class? Well, so um, I got this job in like January of this year. January, February is when I, when I started. Um, and I've basically just been watching this 2022 draft class a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty interesting class. There's some guys that have question marks around them that nobody really knows how good they can be, but they have, they sh- they've shown that they can, they can improve. And I mean, we have a top 10 pick that didn't even play a second of higher basketball than AAU. I mean, it's an interesting draft and, I'm not sure where things are going to go, but uh, we're going to try our best to make a mock here, and um, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think what we saw in the tournament, there are a lot of explosive players, a lot of dynamic players, and the three players, it's the three-headed monster for the potential number one pick with Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga, Jabari Smith out of Auburn, and Paolo Bancaro out of Duke. And I mean, every mock draft I see, there's someone different at one, two, and three. Uh, but from what you've seen, you know, analyzing these players, I mean, very, they're obviously all power forwards. Chet could be a center, but different play styles. You know, Jabari Smith, he can really shoot it from the outside. He's got really good length defensively. Chet Holmgren is just the absolute rim protector who's got, I mean, crazy skill in offense for a seven footer. Uh, and then, and then Powell Bencare, he's going to get it done in the post. He's got really good footwork. You know, he can get it done in mid range. Um, so, I mean, these are three really intriguing prospects who can, who can transform a franchise. So in your mock, who do you have going number one? Well, I'm going chalk here, but I think you got to go Chet. I mean, I think he's definitely the best player in this class. And I think he fits on this Orlando team pretty well. They don't need him to produce on offense as much as other teams would. They have offensive guys on that team already. They got their guy last year in Franz Wagner. They have their point guard and Jalen Suggs. Chet and and Chet uh, played high school ball with Jalen Suggs. Like that just makes too much sense. You got to build your young core around guys who are friends already. I mean, that just makes too much sense. But I mean, Chet, the thing about Chet that everybody knows, it's his defense. I mean, he has NBA level defense already. Yeah, he might be a little skinny, but there have been plenty of players that have shown that they can, they can uh, bulk out. And, but the thing about Chet is that he is so long and his defense is just elite among any anybody else in this class. He averaged like a ridiculous amount of blocks a game, like four or five, and he just dominated in the paint. And I thought a lot of people gave him uh, knocks in the tournament. But I mean, I thought that game against Arkansas, he got completely messed up by the ref, by the refereeing because he got in foul trouble quick. And I thought, not a lot of them were fouls and and I could tell he was very frustrated and it made him look it made him look worse than he actually was. So I think you gotta go Chet at number one. I think he has the highest ceiling of anybody in this draft and that's what you gotta go for in the NBA draft nowadays. So yeah, I I went along the same lines. I put Chet Holmgren going to Orlando. I, I thought the 
getting getting a center to protect the rim obviously the Mo Bamba experiment I mean he had a decent season last last season but I, I just clearly didn't pan out the way they wanted it to and with all the guards they have from uh they got Suggs they got Cole Anthony who had a nice season RJ Hampton uh getting getting a center who can fully focus on you know all the little things kind of kind of like Evan Mobley does you know Evan Mobley will put up some points but he's really good around the rim uh, for for offense and defensive rebound, he can protect the paint defensively, and Holmgren's is going to do that just as well as anybody, like you said, in this draft draft class. So uh, him going to Orlando, I, I think, will happen. Uh, now at number two, actually, I went with Jabari Smith for Oklahoma City. I think getting a score uh, of that size, you know, I mean, was he six ten, six eleven? Can shoot the ball really well from three point range. He's going to be your you know your typical stretch four. Probably will be able to play the five and pairing him with a really solid point guard in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I think will really uh, speed up this Oklahoma City rebuild that is going to be going on for ages, it seems, with 17 first-round picks in the next five years. So I went uh, Jabari Smith at two, and then I went with Bancaro at three. What, what did you do for those two picks? I was exactly like you. So uh, for my my personal thinking, I don't have – I'm not a big fan of Jabari Smith, but I think that – Thunder will definitely take him. I just think uh, Jabari is obviously an elite shooter. I mean, he's got great length. Uh, he's shown all year that he can shoot, but I just I'm worried about his uh, creation penetration ability. Like he just uh, he never showed a lot of ability to uh, attack the defense off the dribble. Like Paulo did a lot this year, and uh, it'll just have to be a thing of. I think I think the Thunder will just take him because they have Shea, they have Giddy, but Jabari's gonna get great looks, and I think he fits into that team pretty well with what they're going for, and so I think they'll definitely take him. But once again, I just I I like Paula more than him. I just think it's the fit here. Um, so yeah, Houston obviously takes Paula at three if if Jabari or Paula or one of the two are available at three. I mean. You, you're going to take them I, they're, it, like you said it's the three-headed monster you can't pass up on them so I think when it, it gets interesting at Sacramento this is when we get out of the top three guys and this is the question for Sacramento do you take the risk in Shaden Sharp or do you go Jaden Ivey who proved himself at Purdue this year what are your thoughts on that yeah well I, I mean I think Sac I mean First off, because I never talked about this, but the Tyrese Halliburton trade was one of the worst trades I have seen in the last like five to 10 years in the NBA. I mean, he's your guy who wants to be a part of the rebuild for the Kings and he can play point guard and he shoots 40 plus percent from three. uh, And he's a longer, taller guard who can handle. I mean, he has all the intangibles of a starting guard in the league and Indiana just rob them i mean sabonis is a great player don't get me wrong but for someone that young and that gifted in only a second season uh i i thought it was just such a poor management because i know they've been crowded with guards for so long i mean it was halliburton healed who are both gone at in, in indiana but now davion mitchell and De'Aaron fox are there so yeah it could be a choice of you know which guard you go with i actually took a shot at a left field because i think the kings looking at their lineup they could go De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, and you probably know where I'm going with this, but 
why not put Sabonis at the five and stick Keegan Murray out of Iowa at the four? Because, I mean, what a sophomore season he had. Uh, He can shoot it and score from all three levels, just gives them a little more offensive firepower. And I think the big thing uh, that people were talking about when this trade was made, uh, Sabonis and Fox don't really shoot threes that well. So I think getting a three-point shooter like Keegan Murray, I think if you didn't go, I think if you went guard, you probably want to go Shaden Sharp because, I mean, how good of a shooter is Jaden Ivey? Uh, he seems very similar of a player to uh, De'Aaron Fox, but I think the Kings, it might disappoint their fan base, but Keegan Murray's a really solid player. And I think that three-point shooting will really help this team, you know, kind of modernize their game and then moves the bonus to the five where I think he should be played in the modern NBA. Yeah, so I like that. I mean, I don't necessarily like Keegan Murray going to this to the Kings because I'm a huge Keegan Murray fan and I just don't want him to see to see him go into the black hole of Sacramento. But oh yeah, I, I don't do, want anyone to go to Sacramento. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to <laughs> exactly. go exactly. Yeah, but on my big big board, so I have a uh, I have Chet one, uh, Paulo two, Ivy three, and then Keegan Murray fourth, and then uh, Jabari fifth. So um. I like I like Keegan Murray a lot. I think he's super NBA ready. I mean, he he was an awesome at Iowa all year. I mean, he was one of probably the best scorer in college basketball in terms of just getting a bucket. I mean, he just he took care of business. And uh, I think wherever he goes, he will be an immediate impact. He's mature. He's uh he's a little older than the than the rest of the guys in this position, but I mean he's not too old. Um but I think he's he's very NBA ready. I think personally on my mock, I think I'm gonna have Sacramento taking Shaden Sharp here. I think they go the risk, and uh, if he pans out, I mean, we've seen plenty of clips of him. He's a freak athlete. I mean, he he has shown his ability to to create on the perimeter for to make a three pointer using step backs and just breaking down his defender on the dribble off the dribble. And uh, he's a he's he's a good player, but it's just the question is how good can he be? Nobody really knows because he didn't play play college ball. We haven't seen him play a very good competition at all. So that that's an interesting player. Yeah, definitely the the biggest risk someone to take in this draft could be, could become a perennial all star. Man, he just left a year or two too early. But um, I definitely like the prospect of Sharp in Sacramento. I mean. Uh, he, the Kings obviously struck luck by getting the fourth pick, kind of like the Raptors did a year ago, getting Scotty Barnes. So you have your choice at really what we'll call the A tier in this draft because you got the three guys uh, at uh, in the S tier with Ben Carroll, Smith, and Holmgren. Um, so uh, moving to Detroit, who kind of got a little uh, a little screwed in the lottery uh, on my board uh, with how my mock is going because I'm also trying to keep fit into account. Uh, I have them taking Jaden Ivey. I think Jaden Ivey is uh, next to Cade Cunningham is a really, uh, really intriguing. I think uh, he's only six, four, but obviously Cunningham six, seven, six, eight. So I think the defensively it'll work out uh, his explosiveness will work out. I think he can work well off ball potentially next to Cunningham running the point. And then I actually put Shane Sharp going to Indiana, which I really, really like for Indiana because they're in this new rebuild now. They've got Halliburton, obviously, at the helm. What are they going to do with Brogdon or, and Miles Turner? We don't really know. But if they fully flip this thing around and, uh, you know, take a really de- developmental piece like Shane Sharp, they could turn him into an absolute monster. So that's what I did for uh, picks five and six. 
Yeah, so I'm with you there on Detroit. I think they go Ivy. I mean, I like the fit with uh, Cade, like you said. He's he's an awesome player to watch. I mean, that'll be that'll be a fun player for the uh, for the Pistons to draft. Oh, I like I like the Pistons in their future, and if if they hit well in this draft, I think they have a solid solid future because Cade Cunningham was a little under the radar this year, but he had a great rookie season. I was very impressed with him. I think he's. He has definite potential to be an all-star next year if, if the Pistons are any good. So that'll be a team to watch. Um, Indiana, I have them taking Keegan Murray here. I think it's it's really a question of if Keegan is Keegan Murray on the board, is Shaden Sharp on the board, you go with either of those two. And uh, I think that's a pretty easy this, – this pick for Indiana, I feel like, will be pretty easy to make for them. So uh, that'll be also interesting. So for – so this is another drop off, I think, when we hit Portland. This is this is so. I'm you're obviously a Knicks fan. I'm a big. Uh, I'm, fan. I'm a Raptors fan. I used used to be a. Knicks oh fan. yeah, I forgot yeah. you're a Raptors fan. <laughs> I oh, left I the totally Knicks back in the that. Carmelo days. <laughs> <laughs> After the Carmelo days, per se, yeah. Yeah, but this is a uh, so the the Hornets have 13 and 15. And I think when we hit Portland. This is when it gets interesting because the guy I want Charlotte to get is Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. I think he's an absolute stud on defense. He plays with harder than anybody on the floor, and I just think he'd be a perfect fit for us. But I don't know if he's going to fall to us because I think he's been flying up draft boards recently. I've been seeing him in the top ten a lot on on uh, big boards. So, and I think there's potential for Portland taking him here at seven, but I don't think they will because that is still kind of a reach, um, in my opinion. I mean, uh, I love Jeremy Sohan a lot, but taking him at seven is just for a very one one way player right now. Like he doesn't have much to offer on the offensive game, and I don't necessarily know if that's what Portland needs. So, I think the I think Portland will go either Johnny Davis here, or AJ Griffin. Um, I think they get. I, I think Johnny Davis would be a good kind of fill in CJ McCollum's shoes if they keep Dame. Uh, Johnny Davis is very good on uh, making his, his own shot. He kind of plays offensively, kind of like Jimmy Butler. Like he's not going to play on the outside a lot, but I mean he can just get buckets on the in on the interior. Hell. Uh, uh, he's good in the post. He's an amazing rebounder for probably one of the best guard rebounders in this class, if not the best. And uh, I think he has a lot of potential to uh, become a good, just pure scorer in the NBA. And I think I think Portland will go with Johnny Davis here. Yeah, I mean, I'm first off, I'm kind of with you with the the second drop off. Uh, I, I think uh, the the Kings and the Pacers they're going to take best available, but yeah. Uh, Portland has a lot of options they can go with. And I, I, uh, have them taking one of my favorite players in this draft. It might be a reach, but I, I think they should go for Benedict Matherin out of Arizona. I thought he was explosive, uh, and just so electric in that tournament, sparking that comeback against TCU. It it just looked like TCU had their number that game and Matherin made some huge plays on not only scoring, but on the offensive, uh, glass. I thought that was really impressive. And I think the, the idea of sticking him next to Damian Lillard, and Anfrey uh, Simons, whether Simons is the shooting guard and he's a small forward or Simons goes to the bench, kind of like a Jordan Poole, like sixth man. I think that would 
give give the Blazers a bit more punch uh, because you know they, they've got uh, some forwards. After they still have Nurkic, Nasir Little had a pretty good season, um, and I think Johnny going Johnny Davis would be a good idea too. But I, I just love Mathern. I think he's going to go up draft boards a bit, uh, a bit more of an of a dynamic score. Uh, and then I'll, I'll say my picks uh, eight. 8 through 10 because you kind of mentioned a couple of their names. Uh, I have AJ Griffin going to the Pelicans. I actually don't like AJ Griffin that much, and it's not because uh, I'm a Tar Heel. Uh, it's it's because I just think he's uh, he's a bit too one dimensional at this point. Uh, he, he's he's a decent defender. He can shoot the three ball well. That's obviously his bread and butter. But I think he needs to be a bit more, you know, just capable w- with the ball. I mean, Leaky Black really just put the clamps on him in in our last two meetings. However, he's he's got an NBA frame. He's like six 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 seven. So I have him going to New Orleans, and most importantly. For him in New Orleans, he won't need the ball that much because Zion will have it. CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, they will be the ball handlers. Uh, so I think it's a good fit there. For the Spurs, I went Jalen Duran. I think they could use a big man along with all their good uh, young guards. And then in Washington, I think Johnny Davis will fall to 10. Uh, now, I think there'll be a steal for Washington because I don't think Davis is the 10th best player in this class. But based on fit, that's how uh, the end of my top 10 goes. Yeah, so I, I like that a lot. I um. So I think I'm on um, New Orleans. Uh, so New Orleans, you had – who do you have them taking? Oh, I went A.J. Griffin in New Orleans. A.J. Griffin. Yeah, okay. So I had I had New Orleans taking Matherin here. Um, I, I think they go best player available, and I think I agree with you there. I, I think I like Matherin more than A.J. Griffin because, like you said, A.J. Griffin can be a, a ghost sometimes. I mean, we saw that in some tournament games. I mean, he just – it felt like he wasn't even on the court. I mean, he was so unimpactful because if you just stick with him on the perimeter, there's not much he's going to do because he he still will attempt to kill you from the three-pointer, which he very well could. He might be the best shooter in this class. He has shown how good he can be from three, and he's very streaky. But I think, uh, I think New Orleans goes Matherin. And then San Antonio, I think they decide between Griffin and – uh Duran, like you said, I don't know who they'll go, but I'll just say they go AJ Griffin to switch it up from you. But I think that's a that's a pretty interesting pick because like you said, they they like the bigs. They need a big and uh Duran is Duran is a good probably the best he's the best uh big outside of uh the top three, I think. So uh, except for Keegan Murray. But uh but he, he's yeah, like an so in the paint big. He's really going to yeah, get he's, at you he's in the a paint. Big, big. Yeah, Keegan Murray's a stretch four. Yeah. They're, they're completely different players. So Washington. Um, Washington, they're, they're a weird team. Uh, I could see them going tie-tie Washington here. I could see them going Ochai. Um, I think they'll go point guard, though. I think they'll go tie-tie. I'm not a big fan of tie-tie personally. Um, I think Washington drafts that purely for the fit. I don't, I don't think they'll look at a Dyson Daniels because he's not, he's not a necessarily good fit on that team. I don't think right now they need a guy that can, that can do a little more offensively. And Ty uh, Ty, I think they'll probably have as their best point guard on the board at that pick. So I think they'll go Ty Ty. Um, so then we have the Knicks, Thunder and Charlotte. Yeah. And so then the Cavs rounding think, out the lottery. Yeah. I think the Knicks are going to go Sohan. Um, I think he just – he's a very appealing prospect, and I just don't see – I don't see him falling to 13 at this point. Um, 
as much as I would love it. I just don't see it happen. I got to be realistic. So uh, the Thunder at 12. So we still have Durin on the board on my on my uh, draft. And I think they have to go best player available here. So you go Jalen Durin. Um, he's, he's a dog. I mean, he, he, he's also, I think like top three youngest player in this draft. I, um, it, he's very young. Like he, and that's exactly what Oklahoma city wants. I mean, if Oklahoma city gets Jalen Duran at 12, I think they would win the draft. I mean, they, that's an amazing pick for him to fall all the way there. And, uh, I think it's a great pick for them. Uh, so now we get to, uh, to Charlotte. And so with uh so with Cleveland selecting 14, I think if Mark Williams is on the board at 13, we don't take him because there's no way Cleveland's gonna take him. And I think we take him at a uh, 15. So I think I think we'll take Mark Williams at 15. And at 13, I think we'll be looking for a guy who can be on the wing, a, de- a defender. And so I think we'll be between uh, Ochai, Dyson Daniels, and Tari Eason. Uh, I think this pick depends a lot on who we hire for our coach because we're looking at the Bucks assistant, uh, Darvin Ham. We're looking at Kenny Atkinson from Golden State. And uh, those guys know how to coach defense, but uh, Atkinson likes his uh, perimeter defenders and uh, – his, his, his little guys, he knows how to coach. Um, but uh, Darvin Ham and the Bucks, they're always been good on the interior. And so I think uh, it depends on who we hire, but I think we'll get Ochai here. I think he's the, you need a three and D guy these, these days. And I think Ochai has a very good shot at becoming that. And he's just a better fit next to LaMelo than uh, Dyson Daniels would be. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the teams in this 11 to 14 range, unlike previous drafts, I think the, there's a lot of talent still there. Uh, I think the, the 7 through 14 uh, teams, you know, players could could be all the way up at 8 or 7 like Sohan, or they could fall out of the lottery potentially. But um, with the Knicks, I love how you mentioned Ty Ty Washington because I think the Knicks have been needing a point guard for years. I mean, you look on their depth chart right now on ESPN, Alec Burks is their starting point guard. That can't happen. You need to get – a point guard in there because I love Emmanuel quickly. I just don't know if he's starting caliber. I think him coming off the bench is a great piece for the Knicks, but I think they'll take point guard here with Ty Ty uh, before the injury. He was really solid. I obviously after uh, he didn't play so well, obviously had the big loss to St. Peter's, which only started the snowball effect for the Peacocks uh, Oklahoma city thunder. I think this is a really interesting pick because I was looking at Sohan and I've, I feel like you're probably seeing something that I'm not. I obviously watched him uh, in the UNC Baylor game and man, he he's just an absolute rough rider. He's going to get after it defensively. Uh, yeah. And I gotta be objective. He's, he's got a lot of uh, potential. And I think him going to a team like OKC where they could develop him over a couple years, that'll be really good. But I, I went a little out of left field here with Malachi Branham out of Ohio state. I think he had a really good second half of the year. And I think them getting a score next to shy uh, and, and Jabari Smith, which who I have in my mock. Uh, I, I think that'll be a good fit because, you know, Lou Dort's a really good player, uh, but he, his offensive capabilities are still, you know, they're still a bit limited. He's had a couple of really good games and we, he's just a great story, but I think especially only being a freshman, he fits the timeline for OKC for getting a wing score. Uh, Hornets, I'm thinking uh, right with you. Mark Williams at 13. I did not know they actually had 15. 
So knowing that I could see them uh, waiting for him at 15. And then I guess on my mock, you could take Sohan as well, get the both of them. But um, I, I, I went with Mark Williams. I, they, they've needed a big. Uh, and then for uh, to wrap it off for Cleveland, I went Ochai Baji. I mean, he can three and D player. He's got he's really improved his three point shot over the years. And next to Darius Garland, because I don't think Cleveland wants to take someone like a Dyson Daniels who's going to want the ball in his hands. Darius Garland is running the offense. It's his team. It's his show. Uh, but getting a really nice supplemental piece, because I don't think Isaac Okoro has really panned out the way people thought a top five pick would. Uh, but Abaji, he's NBA ready. You know, he could slot right in, get you some good minutes. Uh, and then, I mean, obviously, most importantly for a wing uh, player, three and D, we see it all the time. You know, McCall Bridges is just such a good example of, of, a, of a wing player from the lottery. He's just really made a good impact. So that's who I have wrapping out and uh we talked about sohan uh a good bit i actually don't have him in my lottery but i could uh, he's just such a wild card for me i could totally see a team snagging him in the top 10 uh and then noted i, I did not put any of the g league guys mainly because i don't know enough about them but uh i just think they're two they're very risky picks uh but uh to, to wrap it all up cole looking at this draft who do you think uh is just the biggest sleeper uh, of of them all, whether lottery or not, just a guy who you think could just shoot up boards. So uh, a guy that I like a lot that is not necessarily considered very high on a lot of boards is the man, the myth, the legend, Nikola Jovic. Not Jokic, Jovic. Um, so he, he is an international player, obviously. He is, he's got size like Jabari Smith. He's like 6'10". He can shoot it as well as Jabari Smith, in my opinion. He is a sniper and a half. And and his game is so extremely similar to Jabari to me that I could could see him uh, rising on, on some boards at the draft combine after people see how long he is and how well he can shoot. I mean, he's he's a big boy. Um, but, uh, he's just, he's like kind of like Jabari where he doesn't create much off the dribble. He doesn't, he's pretty, uh, one dimensional, uh, Jabari's defense is definitely better. I mean, uh, Jovic is not the best defender right now, but he's got the size to become a better defender. But, um, I just really like his shooting. I mean, his, his jumper is so smooth. He, I think he very well could become a guy that's coming off the bench for a good team and just lighting it up from three. Yeah. I mean, I really like that pick. I, I, I don't know enough about him uh, compared to you, but yeah, I mean, you just can't sleep on those guys from overseas because we, I mean, look at Giannis Jokic won the last four MVPs. Uh, I'm sure a team is going to get him as a gem uh, potentially like late teens, maybe in the twenties. If I, if I were to pick a sleeper, I'd probably go with Sohan. Uh, but we've obviously talked about him, but overall, I just think this is a very uh, intriguing draft class. It's got a lot of offensive firepower. It's got a lot of versatility, I think. Um, and uh, I don't, I don't think Toronto has a first round pick this year because we traded it to, I believe to San Antonio in the Thaddeus young trade. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm really excited to see how it pans out, but obviously we have to wait for this NBA season to finish out Miami and uh, Boston play game two tonight. Before we wrap it up, do you have a quick prediction for uh, who do you think is going to win tonight? Uh, I think uh, I, I think with Marcus Smart playing tonight, I think he's playing. 
I don't know if you saw, but Derek White is out tonight for personal reasons. That's that's kind of interesting. That's definitely a key player they're losing. But they're getting smart back. That's the deep boy. I think Tatum switches it around. I mean, first half in game one, Tatum, we thought, was going to have a master class once again. And then second half, he played horrendously. But I think uh, I think Ime will adjust, and I think the Celtics will take game two. They did it last series where they got killed in game one and then killed the, the Bucks in game two. So uh, I just think uh, – this, these, the Celtics are too good to go down 2-0, in my opinion. I mean, I they're my championship pick. They were my championship pick entering the playoffs. I think they have everything you need to win the championship, and they've shown that so far. And uh, so I expect them to show up tonight. If they don't, they go down 2-0. I'm not necessarily worried because, I once again, Jimmy Butler is, is a monster in the playoffs, absolute tank, but – I just don't think the Heat are good enough to beat the Celtics, simply as that. And I, I think uh, Celtics win in six or seven. Yeah, I mean, I have Boston in six. I'm going to stick with it. I think this is a must win for them tonight. Now, going down 2-0, like you said, I don't think is uh, the biggest deal because we saw Dallas do it last round. But uh, my, I said it last game, but Jalen Brown, please be aggressive start of the game. Uh, yeah. Look for your shot. You gotta, you gotta help Jason Tatum out. But I do have Boston even, uh, evening it up tonight. Um, but that's really gonna do it today for 125 Unfiltered. A really solid episode. Uh, Cole, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. That was that was a blast. I will definitely. We can do it another time. I would, I would love to come back on the show. So. Uh, let me know, and I will definitely make it happen. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're you're great to have on. It was really cool just looking at all these uh, draft prospects. You obviously know your stuff uh, uh, through your job, and I think that's what's really cool about uh, you know having guests on the podcast is they can bring on their own personal uh, experiences and, and own takes on the game, own perspectives, uh, and it's nice to have a fun dialogue. But that's going to do it today for 125 Unfiltered. Uh, stay tuned for tomorrow. I will be recapping Boston versus Miami game two. And that's all I have. I'll speak to you all tomorrow.